Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Dan Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the uncertainty surrounding UFC 249 continues. We're still not sure where it's going to be, if it's going to be, who it's going to be. But we are all keeping our fingers crossed that we do get to see some MMA action in the near future. And amongst those of us looking for MMA action in the near future, we are talking to one of those members. And that is Calvin Cater, who is preparing for his bout with Jeremy Stevens amidst all this. He's going to tell us what it's like preparing in those circumstances and what he's hoping for when that all goes down, if it all goes down. I'm also talking with Dean Thomas, famed MMA coach who recently left American Top Team. It's a really interesting interview about where Dean's going right now, what he's doing, and all of that kind of good stuff. So you're going to want to listen into that because it is some truly, truly eye-opening stuff and, and about where he thinks the sport is going as well, which is really interesting. So make sure you tune in to all of that great stuff. But before you do, I got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Battle Clan Gear. Visit BattleClanGear.com and use promo code TURTLEUP10, T-U-R-T-L-E-U-P-1-0, and get 10% off your whole order there. I personally love Battle Clan Gear, not just because of the way it looks and feels, which is phenomenal when you're rolling jujitsu, but also because of what the company stands for. It is all about bringing people together as part of your clan of people training, which at right right now we all need our clans more than ever. So make sure to support your clan and support the concept of Battle Clan at BattleClanGear.com. And do not forget to use promo code TURTLEUP10. Battle Clan Gear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to famed MMA coach Dean Thomas. Dean, I, I wanted to start by talking about your, your split with American Top Team. Because I know it's an amicable split. You said there are some fighters out there that you wanted to help. But you obviously couldn't because of time commitments, affiliation, stuff like that. Does all of this mean that your new plan is to be more of like a traveling coach and helping fighters from like all different affiliations? Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's kind of the direction that the, that the game is going to go eventually anyway. I mean, if you look at the bottle of boxing, it's kind of the way boxing is in a sense. And um, I think that's just the direction that the game is going. I want to get a head start on it. And plus, I just I just really wanted to um, take off some of the load of, on my shoulders a bit. So, um, but yeah, there's a, but there's a lot of fighters out there that I want to work with, that I haven't had an opportunity to that I would love to get with and just, you know, and just pick their brains and, and let them pick mine. Absolutely. Now, I, I want to talk to you, too, about which fighters that might be and, and some of that kind of stuff, too. But it's interesting that you said that that's the model that you think MMA is going to. What sort of evidence or, or what sort of uh, hints have you had that that seems to be the way that things are moving? Well, I mean, if you look at it like this, um, I think the way MMA is trained now is based on economics and just history. So, like, you know, most people that, that get into MMA now started in a jiu-jitsu academy or from wrestling and are used to these big rooms with everybody. That's just the kind of the way it is. But if you look at, like, the way champions train, champions don't really train that way. Champions build a team around them. They're not in a big room. So, But when you have the money to buy sparring partners and buy a coach, because you're going to get that's the best work that you're going to get. That's the way it's going to be done. Because that's the most effective way to train somebody is to build a team around that person as opposed to put a person inside of a team. So eventually when fighters are making more money, they're not going to be you know going into a room full of everybody doing kind of a cookie-cutter mold of training. They're going to build teams around them. And I feel like that's the And eventually it's going to happen. Fighters are going to be making enough money to where they can do that more as opposed to just going, I can't afford to have, you know, this team around me, so I have to join this team because economically I just can't afford it. But when fighters can afford it, everybody's going to be building teams around them, and I'm going to be available. And, and how how long do you think it is before that becomes a reality? Because obviously, like, you know, MMA pay has been a, a discussion among media and, and insiders for a long time. How long do you think it could be before we see that type of thing on a large scale? 
I'm not sure. Um, it's that's yet to be determined. You know, it's something I never really thought about as far as like when it's going to happen. I mean, if you were to ask me ten years ago where would where we be where we are today in MMA, I would tell you absolutely not. I mean, it just everything just has surpassed my expectations so far. So I would think within the next couple of years, though, guys are going to be doing it. I mean, if you think about it, like the the biggest organization in the world has the Performance Institute, and I think that's where a lot of the training will be done and set up. A lot of guys are going to just start, you know, getting, you know, Airbnbs in Vegas and setting up their camps in the Performance Institute, and they're going to be hiring their sparring partners, they're going to be hiring their coaches, and they're going to be getting it done as opposed to this team atmosphere where, you know, they just, you know, again, like I said, most people just can't afford to do it the other way. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you, you mentioned you know, a little bit earlier on that there were a bunch of fighters who you wish you could work with and haven't gotten the chance to work with. Ha- have those fighters reached out to you since then? And, and who might some of those fighters be? Well, no, not a lot. of. Well, there are some fighters that have reached out to me. Um, a lot of younger guys. And that's and I don't know, maybe I give off this vibe that I like to work with younger fighters. But a lot of younger fighters have reached out to me. Um, just, you know, younger fighters that you may not have heard of, but just, you know, guys on the come up. But if I had much, I mean, if there's a lot of, you know, talented fighters that I would love to work with. Sean O'Malley is a guy that, you know, I think is extremely talented that I would love to work with. Um, who else? Uh you know, somebody somebody mentioned Francis Ngannou. I said, man, I would love to work with Francis Ngannou. <laughs> so, and even even honestly, like I don't know Kevin Lee that well, and I, but I know he's struggled. You know, maybe you know maybe I could be that that missing piece that he's missing because he's a very talented fighter. He just hasn't been able to put everything together yet. Maybe I could be that missing piece for him. So, you know, that's you know even Kevin Lee. So, like, there's just guys out there that I think that I could help. And that's kind of my goal always is to help fighters. And, you know, it's not even just for my own ego. I just love to solve puzzles and help people. So that's kind of my goal. So I'm hoping to do that more. And, and with the traveling around, too, obviously, you're talking about a whole bunch of different fighters who, who have some affiliations, right? Kevin Lee has said he works with TriStar right now. We've got Sean O'Malley who's working at the lab. Is this a situation where you could come in and work with those gyms to help them? Or what would the situation be? Because obviously, you know, you're going to need a place to train them since you're traveling and, it, you know, you don't have your own brick and mortar place. What's sort of the your vision for how this works out? Yeah, I think that would probably be ideal. And it, things could get a little hairy because I know how territorial some gyms are and fighters can be. But that would be ideal for me is to work with coaches, kind of similar to the way I work with uh, Duke Rufus at Rufus Sport when we train Tyron. I just come in, they welcome me like family, and then we put our heads together and we create the best Tyron Woodley that we can. And I think that that would be ideal for me is to be able to go, all right, I'm going to work with you and your coach on how to make you better. And um, to me, that would be ideal. I don't know. I don't know how realistic it is, but listen, that's my dream. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, I, again, you know, when I got into MMA, I didn't think we'd be here. So, you know, now as far as my, and I never thought I'd be able to fight in an organization like the UFC. I did. So right now, you know, I'm sitting there saying I have this mission and this, this goal in my head to go, you know, what? I can be a traveling coach or I can do this and do that. I don't know how realistic it is, but I'm setting out to do it. I love it. Now, it's interesting to me, too. We talked. You talked a little bit about the territorial nature of, of some gyms and some coaches. I'm not going to ask you to, to specifically point out any coaches and stuff like that, but how significant of a worry is that in, in your new plan? And in addition to that, why do you think so many gyms are like that in MMA versus other sports? Again, I think it all comes down to history and, um, and background. Like In terms of history... MMA is, you know, the back in the day in MMA, it was like it was in Brazil. So, like, again, there was no money involved. So all that was involved was pride. So, you know, when a guy left a team, he got called a creonch. He got called a traitor because of pride. You know, teams are very proud because there's no money involved. So, and those are some of the those are some of the things that kind of just carry over into modern day MMA, and that's you know stay with your team, be loyal to your team. But at the end of the day, like guys want to win championships and they want to make money, and sometimes that loyalty is going to kill you. That loyalty will not allow you to get better because you're trying to be loyal to a guy who can't help you anymore. So, um, and I think that's just where it comes from. You know, just 
you know, instructors and coaches are, they get jealous and they get, you know, they, they may not be that good and see somebody's better and they don't want their fighter to work with that other person because they think they're going to leave them for them. But at the end of the day, a fighter has to do what they want to do. Like, even for me, like if I feel like I can't take a fighter any further, I'm going to tell him he needs to go on with somebody else because I can't get you where you need to get. And I think a lot of coaches don't express that sentiment because they're just, they're afraid and they're insecure. And for me, I'm not. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you mentioned Duke Rufus is a name of somebody who already you have a great working relationship with. Are there other coaches, too, who you could see yourself working with as, you know, being more welcoming, more open-minded coaches? Uh, or are there others that stick out as uh, that's definitely a no? <laughs> um, well, Duke has always, me and Duke have always had a good relationship ever since we first started. And he's, you know, we just sit back and we, we talk a lot and we, we communicate a lot and we put our heads together. So Duke is definitely my man. I think, um, you know, I think I would be able to work with a lot of great coaches. And I think that, you know, I would love to be able to work with a guy like Faras and, and pick his, pick his brain a little bit. Um, uh, who's uh, Rafael Cordero. I would love to be able to pick his brain a bit. Well, I mean, just, I mean, there's just so many great coaches out there. Uh, John Crouch from the lab. I would love to pick his brain. I mean, there's a lot of great coaches out there that, you know, that I haven't been able to work with that I would love to be able to come in and work with them. But, but again, you know, these, and I don't know them that well and how, and how they are as far as their territory, but, you know, they would have to be open to it because, <clears throat> because they, I, I wouldn't want them to think that I was, going in to spy on them. And that's the one thing I would never want anybody to think that I go into a camp and spy on them and start giving away information because that's just not how I operate. And, and speaking of that, that concept, right? Like the idea of worrying about, you know, spies or, you know, coaching against somebody who you've coached before. How much of a concern is that, right? Cause you worked with, you know, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of ATT people in the past and here you are, you're talking about traveling around it, and most likely you're going to have to coach somebody who's fighting an ATT member, right? Like, so how worrisome is that in the perception of all of everything and with the prospect of ever working with somebody who's still at ATT? Yeah, it happens all the time, actually. Um, you know, in fact, with uh, I actually did the scouting report. <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't care. <laughs> but, for, um, but, you know, for... Um, uh, Enrique Barzola, you know, I, I didn't help Hani train for it, but I, I did the scouting report for it. Like I, I, I studied Enrique a little bit for that. I had to watch his film for a little bit for that. But, um, but again, like this wasn't stuff that I was like, Oh, I trained with Enrique before, even though I did, I trained Enrique before, but I try to, I try to leave all that stuff behind me, you know, because guys, and it's, as a fighter, it's your job to continue to keep getting better. So like if, if you trained with somebody before and that's who you still are, then that's really kind of your fault and your problem. You you need to continue to get better. So um, that's what I tell fighters. I say, hey, listen, if if I worked with you and you're worried about me three years later, then that's not my problem. That's your problem. You need to get better. Absolutely. So I, I want to talk about getting better, too, because it, it looks like, according to your, your social media, that you're about to come out with a book. It's called The MMA Manifesto. I was curious as to the content of it because you hinted at it a little bit on your social media and it, it sounds like there's there's some information in there about game planning and all of the, the knowledge you've gained through that. Is the idea of this book more of a memoir? Is it more of a manual? Is it a how-to book? What What is sort of the format well, of actually, what, what you're releasing here? Well, it's actually not a book. It's actually going to be an online program. So um, if you think of like and this is kind of the, the way I, I compare it to is that the masterclass website where, you know, you pick on, you can click on different people and they can give you uh, their insight as to their expertise. And that's kind of what I'm, what I intend to do with this, with my manifesto is to have so many different subsections that I can give you my insight on all those different things that I'm aware of and that I know about. So, you know, I, and I'm really, Again, this is something I really want to put my heart and soul into and just give everything I got and just be able to just go, all right, this is everything I know in MMA. So it may take a while before it's actually completed, but again, it's an online project. So, um, and I'm going to constantly be updating it with new information, but, um, but definitely I want to, I want to get this out there to the people because this is just another way that I can reach people and help them get better without maybe necessarily giving them that personal attention. 
and is it geared more towards fighters or is it also geared towards coaches or fans of the game or like what is the the target audience for it well i think that what i wanted to do was to make it uh make definitely have subsections for everybody uh, a subsection for coaches how, you know how to uh identify the type of athlete you're working with and get the best out of them uh obviously subsections for maybe even guys that just want to do this as a hobby how to compete with guys in the gym that are that are that are fighters but you're not and you know what's the mentality somebody asked me that the other day like what mentality should you be having if you want to compete with guys in the gym to fight and you're just doing it for a hobby I've, i firmly believe you can still do it but um but you just have to know how and know what what skills to take into into those sparring sessions so i want to give all this information out to everybody and i feel like this is the easiest way for me to do it and is that something that you would encourage people to go to as they seek your services? Is this something you see sort of working in tandem with your, your traveling coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you know, for me, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. You know, coaching is, is very different than anything else. You know, for, for a lot of guys, you know, they can use the same nutritionist, they can and, and a nutritionist is in the gym or the same sports psychologist, and they're in the, the same areas while they're training. But when it, in terms of like a coach, their people are again territorial about that. So, um, so for me, either I'm going to be working with you privately, or this gives you an opportunity. If you don't, if you don't trust me like that, this will give you an opportunity to get some of my information, just to have it, and you can you can utilize some of the some of my theories and philosophies towards the fight game without even have ever having to meet me. Interesting. And, and I know obviously with, with the current situation and where the country is in, in that, you know, most people not going out right now uh, for the better of, of the country. Ha- have you been able to devote more time to working on this or is it more difficult because you're not be able to get in a gym as much as possible and, and film things and record things and put things together? No, I've been working on it extensively. So this time off has has helped actually, but and I again another secret I talk too much, but you know I've been in the gym, <laughs> I still I still get my work and I still got I still got a a couple of fighters that we we do it we're we're being responsible by staying away from other people but um, we quarantine ourselves and and still get our work in so I can still you know try things out and get things you know still test things and make sure things are still working. Well, and while I've got you, that's say, something I have to. Have to do. And while while I've got you saying too much too, uh, where are you based out of doing all of that too? Is is that uh, still working out of Florida? Still working close to Coconut Creek, or, or are we talking about you know you're you're doing a tiny bit of traveling for it as well? Well, right now, right now I have a couple of different locations that some of my friends they have gyms. They just said here, here man, here's the key. Just you know, clean up before and after. And uh, I get in there with one or two fighters, and we get to work. And this is in Florida, but I mean that's that's just right now. I think this is kind of a temporary solution based on you know me just leaving you know American Top Team, and then also based on the current situation that everybody's going like this. This is kind of my alternative. But I think once things start to get back to normal, I'm going to have to find something a little bit more concrete, maybe without getting my own place, because that's something I definitely do not want to do. I do not want to get my own place. Well, that, that's interesting, too, because originally I was going to ask that, but it seemed like you were leaning away from it. Why, why are you so adamant that you don't want, uh, you know, like a home gym? You don't want a brick-and-mortar place to put down some mats and bring a fighter if you need to? Well, because, you know, if I do, if I do that, um, then I might, as well, I might as well just stayed at American Top Team. I had a great job at American Top Team. I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I left American Top Team because I didn't have a great job. You know, Dan Lambert is one of the most generous guys in the game. Probably, the, he probably single-handedly have done, has done more for anybody in MMA than anybody else Dan Lambert has. You know, Conan Silvera, these are my guys. But the idea of having, you know, my own place and people coming in and, you know, that just, I mean, I have my own schools for 12 years prior to being a full-time coach. And that's just something I don't want to do now. I don't want to have this responsibility of running a place and, paying the rent and getting the electric turn. I just don't want that responsibility. I, I would, I want to devote my, I'm an artist now. I want to devote my time towards my art and that's making fighters better.
I love that. Now you, you said too that you you know you had a good relationship with Dan Lambert and Conan Zilvero. Like they're obviously people who are really important to your development as a coach and your development it's to what you are now. Do you still see them as close personal friends and people who you could work with in the future? Do you expect that fighters, when they're putting together training camps for American Top Team, might call upon Dean Thomas to work with them? I don't know. That's kind of the thing now, you know, for like I did, like I used to work very closely with Amanda on one of her fights as far as like scouting her opponents and giving her some some ideas for her fights. I've done that for her since she fought Misha Tate. Pedro Munoz, another one I've done that for a long time, um, scouting his opponents. So, I mean, it's it just, like I said, it's, it's kind of a tough situation because I love Dan Lambert and Conan Silvera dearly. I mean, I, I I will always consider them my good friends, and it breaks my heart that I had to leave like that. But, um, but at the end of the day, I have to take care of myself first. Mm-hmm. I do realize that, too. But, again, you know, those are my good friends, and it, it does break my heart. I mean, I... Part of me d- didn't want to do it, but I just, you know, I just, I need to do, do for me the way I needed to do for me. Interesting. And, and and was, so obviously, like you said, the friendships with the coaches was really important too. How much of it was a concern too that walking away from ATT might mean walking away from some of those people you mentioned that you've been doing game plans for and you've been giving ideas to and stuff like that. How much concern is it that in looking for new partners, you might also lose your, your old fighters? I mean, I understand that too. I knew all the risks going into this. I know, I know what the risks are going into this. Um, I, I think some fighters will probably come with me no matter where I go because I've built that relationship with them. And, and I think there are some fighters who were a top team there just because I was there. I mean, I'm not saying that, that I'm like the only reason I was there, but some are there because I was there. And they probably will still want to work with me, so we're going to have to work that out. But um, But at the end of the day, you know, I, I just want to do my thing and and just ride on me without having this responsibility of like this whole team or making sure somebody's getting their training in because I really only want to focus on a couple people. There's not a lot of people that I really want. It's just very difficult. It's very difficult to create champions when you're dealing with 20 people. So so you know, what is so, so what is your ideal course load? What what is your ideal number of people roughly, you know, if you could think about it? What is your ideal number of people that you would be training at any given time? I would think that if I could train four or five people at any given time that I would be okay. Interesting. And, and yeah, I think that that's kind of my number. And, and you said at any given time too, does that mean that number of people would rotate, right? Like, would would that be a training camp yeah, situation? Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's it, and I think that's with rotation. There are a couple of fighters that that I probably want to work with like full time, like all year round. But then I do, but then there is room for for training camps mm-hmm. for you know for maybe two two or three fighters for training camps. So like I have about two or three fighters now that I I can see myself working with full time like year round. But then. I still will have time for like two or three training camps at a time. And I think that I'll be good with that. But other than that, like just like having this, this massive group of people, it's, it's too difficult. It's very difficult to create champions that way because you can't give the attention to the people that you need because you're just so, you're so spread out. That makes a lot of sense. Now, speaking of spread out, I, I, you said you were working with a couple of people right now, which is good, but obviously at this time it, it was a really it really wanted being an awkward time to become a traveling coach, right? Because like there's no travel anymore, essentially. So uh, how difficult is that then for you either mentally or, you know, physically thinking about that prospect of taking this big next step and and then kind of having to wait on it? No, it was a big step. Uh, And at times I was like, am I crazy? (laughs) What am I doing? (laughs) Because, and and my buddy Josh Cohen, who I do a radio show with ESPN West Palm, he says, you picked the perfect time to quit a reliable paycheck <laughs> when, you know, during this during this time. And I did. Um, and it, it did weigh on me a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there was when I was weighing the pros and cons, it was like, all right, leave all the people I work with American top team. That's a con because I like, you know, I like Amanda. I like Pedro. I like, you know, Antonio Carlos Jr. I love these guys. And then, um, it's like leave Conan and Dan after they've done so much for you. Like, damn, another it's another setback. Leave King Mo. That's my boy. King Mo was like, you know, that's 
it was like one of my best friends in the world. And then, you know, leave a paycheck. And but then I said, I really want to be happy. And that just outweighed everything. And I was gone. Wow. All right. So then I, I got one more question for you, too. Then, you know, you, you said you thought about it. You didn't want all of this over your head. You you realize that this is what makes you happy and, and that you think you can do it better this way. How many uh, coaches are, are, do you think that you will inspire to do a similar thing, if not right now, in the near future? Do you think that this is something that people will see and almost use as guidance for the future? Yeah, I do think so. But I think it won't come from the guys that you see today because they all have their own place. You know, when you talk about, you know, somebody like Faras and, and all those guys, like they all have their own place, so they're not going nowhere. They all have their own place, and they have they all have, like, running programs out of, like, for regular students. So I don't think that they'll do that. But I think that you'll have some of the other coaches who may not be getting the shine in their gyms. So, like, there may be some young guys that are coaching fighters that, that do a lot of work that may not be getting the shine and go, you know what? I think I can branch off and do my own thing. And I want to inspire them. Like if you're a young coach and you have faith in yourself and you believe in yourself and you think that you can do it on your own, give it a shot. You only live once. And the way things are going, we might not be living too much longer. <laughs> so go ahead and give it a shot. <laughs> well, I, I, I certainly love that message. I, I think it's a brilliant message for young coaches as well as, you know, young fighters. And, and pretty much, you know, the, the example you're setting here, Dean, is, is both interesting to me as a precedent and I think really, really intriguing. So um, once again, guys, this is Dean Thomas. If you want to hear more, make sure you head on over to his Twitter or his Instagram because he's always dropping knowledge on those platforms so make sure you're there dean thanks so much for the time man i really appreciate it thank you again man this is daniel gumby Greenland with top turtle mma on flowcombat.com and today i have the pleasure of speaking to calvin cater who fights jeremy stevens at ufc 249 on april 18th we hope um which is obviously where i'm going to start this interview here calvin because you're, you're scheduled for this fight. It is certainly up in the air. Nobody knows anything about it. Have you heard or has your manager heard anything from the UFC at all regarding this fight and possibly where it could possibly take place? No, nothing at all, really. I know as much as you guys know, but, um, you know, unfortunately, that's all stuff outside the cage that they're working on. And for me, I get paid with, with what goes on inside the cage. So assuming they have that thing set up somewhere, I'll be ready to go. And how confident are you that they're going to have it set up somewhere? Because I know there, there's differing levels of positivity regarding all of this. You know, how positive are you? Oh, I, I was zero percent on it, and then, uh, and then, you know, I think I'm somewhere around fifty percent thinking it's going to happen. But I'll be a hundred percent ready either way. Uh, I'd rather be ready for an opportunity should it come, uh, rather than have the opportunity come and not be ready. So I'll, I'll be ready regardless. And, uh, you know, looking forward to hopefully put on the show for, you know, the fans that, that are dying for something to see out there because there's not much going on right now. And I feel for him. I'm in the same boat with him. Uh, it'd be great to go out and put on a show for him. And, and you said you went from zero to 50% positivity recently. What, what was the shift? What, what made you feel suddenly much, much more confident in it? But just Dana adding people to the card. He's crazy. I love it. You know, I mean, what else is he going to do other than, be bold in a time like this and try to make something happen. You know, assuming that we're doing the right things, uh, you know, trying to be safe as possible and, and not and do our part to not spread this thing any worse. You know, uh, it seems like they'll have all the precautionary measures in place if they do uh, host the event. Uh, I'm assuming there'll be a lot of eyes on them. So I'm sure they'll be looking to do things right. But for me, I'm fortunate enough to not have to really focus on those things, uh, the, the details of hosting the event, because that's probably a lot crazier than my task to handle just to just go out and take care of business against Jeremy Stevens. Absolutely. And, and he said too, that he has four or five locations for it, which uh, obviously in a lot of people's eyes, when they hear that, that, that sounds like they're going to get, you know, a lot more confident based on it. Now, obviously we don't know anything about them, but are you prepared to fight anywhere, to travel anywhere, to go anywhere, seemingly even out of the country? Yeah, of course. You know, my last one, I was scheduled to fight in Boston in October, I believe, and then it pushed back to November in Russia. 
So uh, it doesn't really get much further than Russia to me, uh, especially when, especially when the boat was scheduled to happen at home. So I'm prepared to be uprooted, and this chaos is uh, is every day for me, man. In this sport, you got to be prepared for any and everything. And uh, at, at this point in my career, I am. So, you know, the only thing, the only drawback to not hearing a date is that I feel like we've been on the limb now for weeks. So, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting. I feel like if you had a date or, or a place, you would have said it. But at the same time, once you say it, you know, it's kind of you kind of locked in on that. I'm assuming, and uh, we'll see how he plays around with the regulations that are out right now, and see if he can get it done. I'll be ready to go, like I said, come April 18th, should the, the location be confirmed and we're all ready to go. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be there ready to go put on a show. Now, now you said, too, you know, you're, you're going to be 100% ready no matter what, but, but how does it affect your mentality training knowing that there there is so much up in the air, that there's no certainty, that there's there could be a huge travel or no travel at all? Yeah, you know, as much as people try to give themselves a certainty when uh, when the fights are booked and things, it's different when the venue's not confirmed for sure. But uh, I mean, in this sport, you're never really 100% fighting until you both step foot in the octagon. And, you know, people miss weight all the time. Fights fighters get injured all the time. Um, these types of things happen more than you think, unfortunately, uh, in the sport. So uh, I was bred for 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 that type of. You know, for this type of thing to happen, you know, every fighter is kind of used to shit happening here and there. And you really never 100 percent have a fight locked in until you both set foot in that octagon and you're staring across from each other and, and asking if you're ready to go. At that point, that's when I know the fights are. And uh, and so, you know, even once we get what, because they lock in a location, let's say today, you think it's still 100 <laughs> percent? Hell no. You know? Uh, that that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your prep for Jeremy Stevens, because obviously, you know, the, the fight was announced quite a while ago. You've had some time to, yep. to think about him and to prepare for him. Did did the fact that, you know, seemingly Massachusetts and, and all of the surrounding states have kind of gone into a lockdown, did that affect your your training partner situation at all in in your ability to prep for Jeremy Stevens? Yeah, some doors closed, you know, gyms, uh, um, as you'd imagine. And we've been on our Tony Ferguson shit lately, training, uh, attack on boxes, psychic heavy bags, things like that. So myself, uh, definitely had to adjust a little bit. And, uh, but we're making the best of it. As you see, everyone posting uh, every other day or hour, minute of their own home workouts and things that we could be doing. So there's a lot of options, as you could tell, uh, getting ready for this one. And uh, we're doing what's working for us. I got some of my close training partners um, still you know, making the trip and uh, and helping me prepare, which is, you know, great of them. And we're keeping a very limited group and uh, and just doing what we can to prepare. And one thing's for sure is he's dealing with it too. So we're both shooting from a, a fair playing field, you know. And, um, yeah, it's just something we both have to deal with, overcome, and and be ready to go come April 18th. I, what, I'm, what I'm interested in is to see, you know, how, these, how everyone's weight holds up because <laughs> all that confinement with being around that kitchen – you know, and and somewhat limited working out distractions, this and that depends which wolves you which wolf you feed, right? But I'll be interested to see, um, you know, how many people make weight come come next month. Well, well, and how how is that holding up for you? Because you know you, you're the one who brought it up here, so now I'm I'm interested. Yeah. Is it easier for you? What what are you doing so that you do stay away from that that boredom eating we're all falling into? Yeah, boredom eating, right? I, I guess uh, everyone's um, everyone's around it, but. Um, you know, I've had however many fights, twenty-something fights, and and that much more that have, that have been scheduled that fell through that I've always prepared for, showed up, made weight, and uh, this will be no different. No matter uh, easy, hard, regardless, we'll show up on weight and we'll be ready to go. But um, something that you know, I'm sure a lot of people are dealing with. You see it along with self home workouts you can do. People are now starting to come up with. Uh, their own cooking shows <laughs> so uh, you know it's like it's one or the other here you just either going the only way place you're allowed to go is really the supermarket right yeah. that, that that is for sure yeah. the truth so uh, now i, I want to return some normalcy to our usual interview style here where uh, i just want to ask you some questions about jeremy stevens so you know you get booked with sure. jeremy stevens coming off that you know very fun fight with that at magomed sheriff like what do you think about Jeremy Stevens as a different opponent than Zabit? And obviously, you know, like, what does this mean to you to be booked with somebody 
who is higher than you, even with you coming off of a loss. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think they know um, at this point, you know, where I stand in the division, and we're still ironing things out. You know, I'm not where I where I want to be yet, but um, another a win over Trevor Me Stevens will, will take me that much closer. Um, just just like fighting these guys with the numbers next to their names until my digit keeps keeps getting smaller and smaller. And Jeremy's a tough fight. You know, he's he's 0-3 in his last three, but he's fought top 10 talent in each of them. And uh, so shit happens when you're fighting the best guys in the world. But um, I, I feel like I'm on, on the side of the Calvary guys that have beat him, not the ones that have lost to him. So a uh, win over Jeremy Stevens put me on that sh- even shorter list, single digits. And, um, and, and with that talent that I feel like I belong competing against. Absolutely. And, and your division is probably more exciting than ever, too, right now with a brand new champion in there who is yet to make a defense yep. in, in Alexander Volkanovsky. What, what are your thoughts about Volkanovsky as the new champion in this division and, and sort of where he fits into, you know, the rankings of the great featherweights of all time? Yeah, he, uh, he, he gave Max a, a, a lot to deal with last fight. And, um, you know, I'd be interested to in see the rematch after they make some adjustments and things. I, I think we'll see a little bit more, uh, well-roundedness in that fight, I think, but, um, yeah, he's, he's he's obviously done everything he's had to do with the guys that he's in there with, and um, that was a big win for him. And a lot of new names in that featherweight division. I'm happy to be one of them. And uh, I think you're gonna you know, right now. You're seeing a lot of movement, and um, and we'll see how things settle. But I plan on uh, getting a few W's. I, I really want to be busy this year. This COVID nineteen thing's really slowing people, slowing uh, you know things down a bit, but. Uh, hopefully things go off without a hitch April 18th and I'm able to start off the year with a W and, and just get back to work. Absolutely. Now, you know, you mentioned you're not quite to where you want to be yet, but you are in the single digits. You are moving up. A win over Jeremy Stevens here is huge. How many yep. wins realistically or how close do you think you are realistically from getting the shot at that title, getting that, you know, ultimate goal there? Anytime you're in single digits, you're only a few fights away, I think. But, um, you know, the win over Jeremy Stevens will, will definitely be putting me a step closer where I need to be. And then from there, I, you know, will be a shorter list from that point. But uh, really, Jeremy's got my full focus at this point, And um, it all starts at taking, taking care of business um, with him next next month. So not looking past him yet, but I know once once we take him out, then we'll be in a good position. All right. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Pulling that, you know, some certainty returns to all of our lives on April 18th. Once again, fans, this was Calvin Cater, who is scheduled to fight Jeremy Stevens at UFC 249 at a location to be determined. Calvin, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Stay healthy. And those interviews with Dean Thomas and Calvin Cater are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. So whether you train sambo, boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, or any martial art you can think of, they've got over 35 on the app, make sure to download the app because it is going to help you track your training, write down and remember what you were training, and you can also log cool things like competitions and weigh-ins. It is an all-in-one place to keep track of what you're doing in martial arts, including where you're training, your belt levels, seminars, and things like that. Check it all out at Maroon Social. Now, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tomate. Dave, I, I want to start by talking about whether or not you can even imagine the concept of preparing for a fight against somebody like Jeremy Stevens in Calvin Cater's place and, and how he's handling it so well. You know, it surprises me and at the same time doesn't surprise me when a fighter can remain so calm with so much uncertainty. We all know what they go through in the lead up to these fights between extreme weight cutting, um, injuries that might even take place and they don't want anyone to know about. Uh, this is par for the course. Of course, the, we're dealing with something a little unprecedented when it comes to this virus, but it's not necessarily shocking to me. Um, he's in a good mindset for where he needs to be and just stay prepared and ready to go. Yeah. When it's like he said too, that like that concept of when you're a fighter, you mentioned injuries. Sometimes people pull out with injuries, you know, sometimes, you know, unexpected things happen. Sometimes weight cuts are failed and you wind up not fighting the day of. So like, you know, like there are a hundred reasons fights get canceled early. Sure. This is the weirdest one or the, the most unique one of all time. 
but at the same time, like, yeah, he's in a good mindset. And, uh, you know, if, if this fight card does actually go down, you know, Calvin Cater versus Jeremy Stevens is an absolute banger in a fight. I was super excited about if it was going down in Brooklyn, and I'll be excited if it goes on anywhere. Well, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, in this day and age. This virus is certainly uh, more in control of society than society is in control of the virus. A lot of fighters don't know what is going to happen. It does seem by every stretch of the imagination that Dana White and the UFC are determined to put on this card. And I think it's very feasible that they do while they haven't disclosed the location, which might be a little weird. There have been some closed-door events that are taking place as of us taping this right now. WrestleMania, which is obviously the landmark event for another billion-dollar company, that's going to take place in an empty arena in Orlando this coming weekend. So Submission Underground underground happened this weekend in a fucking abandoned silo with Jess Shale Sonnen pretty much running the whole show himself. I mean, like, not that we expect Dana White to be sitting there with, like, you know, two video camera people in an empty silo somewhere that looks, you know, vaguely dirty in the background. But, like, it's happening. Yeah, and that that is my point is that I don't actually find it that crazy because we have some evidence now of other events taking place that the UFC will pull a card together, but at this juncture, and it's a fluid situation, we now don't know what that card looks like. We're hearing rumors that every scheduled fight over the next month before the virus came around is slated to take place on this show. They have told every contracted fighter who had a fight canceled to just stay ready, be ready for April 18th. And a lot of fighters are obviously chomping at the bit for that because this is how they get paid. This is how they make a living. What we don't know, what we don't know, as of us recording this conversation, as we don't know what the main event will be, there were rumors that Khabib is stuck in Russia. He said it on an interview today. Let's update everyone at what we know to this point and what we think is going to happen. So, I mean, like, at this point in time, it seems like he's uh, stuck in Russia. But also at this point, there's about 700 people who have reached out for a chance to fight Tony Ferguson. You're hearing Justin Gaethje's name being offered. Dustin Poirier has offered his services. Jorge Masvidal has said he's ready for a fight. But it looks like now Kamara Usman might be possibly offering the chance to fight him. So, I mean, we can see a main event of Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Tyrone Woodley has called out Colby Covington, who says he's down for a fight. I mean, like, pretty much the tops of the lightweight division, except for Habib and Conor McGregor, well, go figure, uh, are two guys who aren't going to be available. But everybody else seems like they're both available and excited to fight. Uh, obviously, you know, with the exception of maybe some international people like Leon Edwards. But, but that being said, like, there is a very fluid situation with the main event, but it looks like there are going to be, I mean, there are so many people who are excited to fight and so many people who want to fight. And, and obviously all of us, you know, as media members or journalists or podcasters, you know, we all have mixed emotions. We all want to see fights. We all know that this is a weird situation and maybe there shouldn't be fights, but like, it seems like there's going to be. And if there's going to be, I just hope that whatever main event we are treated to out of the 12 options I just gave you, it's just like an accurate representation of what would happen if those people fought. You know, like, I don't want to see Dustin Poirier fight, you know, Tony Ferguson and get absolutely flatlined in, like, no time just because he wasn't prepared or he had to do a crazy weight cut in a short period of time. If we can see what, like, an accurate representation of those two fighting would be, that's cool. But at the same time, I don't want to see something, you know, seriously muck up a division because, you know, somebody stepped up somewhat valiantly and in fought when maybe they are probably definitely that they shouldn't have. So I'm going to take this from two different aspects. I want to still talk about the possibility of the beef. I am not, and you can follow us on uh, Twitter at top turtle MMA and absolutely roast me for this take. I, as of this taping, and I understand that Dana White might have already said he never wants to book Tony Habib again, but Dana White's an emotional guy, and I never really trust anything he says in the moment. Uh, And there are obviously the reports that Habib is stuck in Russia, but all I know at this juncture is that Habib said he was stuck in Russia. Have we heard from his manager, Ali? Has the UFC reached out to Ali? Have they gone through every political channel that we know the UFC has at their disposal to try to make this happen. I'm reading some deep state Twitter rumors right now that private planes uh, and any people conducting large-scale business 
uh, are allowed to fly out even with a lockdown. So I don't know. Is this something Habib said and then the MMA media world ran with and the UFC doing what they should do made a contingency plan and immediately reached out to uh, Justin Gaethje and maybe even a Jorge Masvidal? I don't know. No one really knows yet. I have actually, until I see Dana White on Twitter or the UFC have a press release saying Habib will not make it out of Russia, I'm still holding out hope. Now, that being said, everyone, when these kind of news stories breaks, they all jump on it. And I think their hearts are in the right place. But you always have to think of it like a submarine where both captains need to launch their uh, turn the key to launch the missile and release the missile all these guys are fighters at heart. So, yeah, they're saying they can do it. But, right, a manager is then going to step in and say, ah, you know you're not ready for this yet, champ, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Or there's travel issues, and there's just so much up in the air. So, with that all being said, I'm not surprised everyone threw their name into the ring. That's what happens. If I had to Vegas break down the odds of what makes the most logical sense, I love the idea of Masvidal because we were talking about it off air. It's more of a one-off. It wouldn't have division implications. You mean against Tony? It's Against Tony, right, yeah, yeah. in the scenario where Habib does not make it out of Russia. So I like I give that a lot of uh, high odds, high probability, and then Gaethje, because we've heard the rumor that they offered it to Gaethje. It's an awesome fight. Maybe it's not the fight we would get with both of them on full rest, full camps, but it's still an awesome fight. And I think with so much hype going into Habib, Tony, you need something big. And no offense to Dustin Poirier, it's such a letdown to come off of Habib, Tony, Gaethje is one of those exciting matchups where you at least feel like, okay, the in-Octagon product, it's not a grappling matchup, it becomes a striking matchup, but gosh darn, does that become an exciting striking matchup. Um, so maybe you swallow the pill a little bit better if it's Gaethje uh, and not Poirier. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and in addition to that, too, like... For, for this fight, there needs to be something to hype it up, right? Like, not that, you know... It's the first sports any of us have really seen in months, but like, or feels like months. Uh, but like, it, it needs something that feels monumental, right? Like, the Habib Tony thing felt monumental because it's been booked five times. The, there's something monumental about when Justin Gagey steps into the cage. You know, like, he, he feels super important. You know, like, he feels like a top of the level guy, and he feels like somebody who you can't miss fight whenever he fights. Does Dustin right. Poirier feel like that? He, he has for years, but that loss to, to Habib, even though it was maybe Habib's you know toughest test to date, you know coming off of that loss does seem to take some of the luster off of him as a potential candidate to fight Tony Ferguson. So yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I I do agree, and, and we said this like you said off air. Uh, I do agree. I think Tony Ferguson versus Jorge Masvidal, even though it's a weird interdivision super fight that we had no business having and no business needing almost makes the most sense in that it doesn't make sense or doesn't matter. And and at this time, if, if Tony were to go out and get blasted by Jorge Masvidal, Tony Habib still feels like a fight that matters. You know what I mean? Um, and if he goes out and beats Masvidal, it's even more impressive. Whereas if he loses to Gaethje, you might lose Tony Habib forever. Well, I, for one, am just going to stay positive and hope that the fight that just seems to never be able to get made can finally get made even in the face of of a global pandemic, and I will have to hand it to Uncle Dana. If he could go behind enemy lines, rescue Habib from Russia, bring him back to the U.S., in light of everything going on, that's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm in total agreement on that one. Uh, but it, it is time for us to stop talking about this pandemic, stop talking about all of those things, and start actually talking about MMA in a cage happening or, or in the rankings happening. So I, I want to transition to talking about this idea that I've been mulling over for the possibility of an article, which you should be able to see sometime this week over on Flow Combat. And that's the concept of fighters that other fighters don't want to fight. Uh, you know, all this talk during the pandemic of people wanting to fight this guy, wanting to fight that guy. And, and there are like this this weird handful of fighters who, who I'm going to try to, to give an official title to today. I, I'm going to call them landmines. Uh, there are this this group of landmines that, like, seemingly nobody wants to fight, and for good reason. They're really dangerous, uh, but also they're, and this is where the, the term landmine comes in, they're really low in the rankings, or some of them are not even ranked. Uh, and at the same time, they're super dangerous for people up in the higher 
uh, parts of the rankings. So, like, they find themselves in this weird limbo where they don't have anybody to fight that is a net positive for them, right? Like, they can continue to beat up on other unranked guys or other guys lower in the rankings. But the guys at the top of the rankings don't want any part of them. Even the guys, like, one or two ahead of them don't want any part of them. Uh, and I feel like the rankings as a concept, you know, we five years ago, everybody wanted rankings. Like, we needed rankings to justify this and that. This is, seems to be the group that it does the most injustice to, right? Like, because, you know, maybe we get some title shots that we still see as undeserving, but largely it's people who are in the top five, right? But this group seems to be the one who's getting short-shrifted by the rankings, and, and it's hard to climb the rankings without beating somebody higher up. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this concept with you, Dave, and it sort of to work out my ideas, because this is obviously not coming out until later this week. I wanted to ask you personally, do you think the rankings is the cause, the 100% the cause of this, or do you think that there's some other cause that could possibly make these people happen as well? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's typically the, what I picture as a landmine in MMA is someone who has a very unique style that no one wants to deal with yet or doesn't want to be the first to figure out that style. They want to see the blueprint first before they go in there. So I think part of it is style, and this would be happening. I don't think a lot of people would be answering the phone when they say Ryan Hall wants to fight them, even if there was no such thing as rankings. But the rankings make it even worse because you get these guys who are a little lower ranked, say, you know, 10 through 15, and you have someone 5 through 10. Well, they don't want to go down because they're title shot and the worst thing that could happen is ryan hall leg locking them in 30 seconds yeah i, I think that that's uh, maybe a concept that i hadn't really thought of and, and i'm glad you mentioned it that that concept of them being like a weird stylistic matchup because we, you know we put this out to our twitter uh remember to follow at top turtle on the bank and somebody mentioned surreal ghani at heavyweight too he he's kind of another one who fits that that mold, right? Like he's a really high level kickboxer who now also has a heel hook finish at heavyweight, which is something like fucking, you know, you don't see, you know, that many crazy high level kickboxers at heavyweight. You know, you get a lot of wrestlers and a lot of just like big power punchers. He's a good technical kickboxer. And then also like, he's got like these weird submission skills that you sort of didn't see coming. So like, He's not like a super specialist like Ryan Hall, but I think there's something to be said about that, right? Like there is a, a lot of these guys who have weird performances or weird styles and like until they get enough of a body of work for the higher ups to see them, the higher ups don't want to fight them. They don't want to be the one to solve the problem or they don't want to be the one to discover the problem. Um, I, I also think some of it too, and, and I noticed this when I was researching some of the people who fall into this category and maybe the rankings make this worse too. But like, I also think some of the problem is an early loss in their career that people are not willing to overlook or like they got erased off of a prospect list, you know, when they lost that fight. So somebody like Dan Ige sticks out to me for that. So like, if you, if you go and look at Dan Ige's, I had it open a second ago too. I don't know why I closed it. If you look at Dan Ige's, uh, you know, tapology page and you go through his fights, he, he kicked off, being in the UFC after being on Contender Series with a fight against Julio Arce. Julio Arce, damn good fighter, right? Like, everybody thinks Julio Arce is, is legit, and he should be in the UFC. But he's also, you know, like, two and three. He's coming off of a loss to Hakeem Dawado. Um, but Dianigue, meanwhile, loses his opening fight against Julio Arce, rattles off five straight wins after that. And, and the only reason he just barely cracked the featherweight rankings was because Hanato Moicano dropped out to go up to lightweight. Like, he was still not ranked as of the very last card that we have had up until this moment. And that's including a win over Danny Hendry. It's including a win over Mirsad Bechtik. And, like, that's the best competition he could get. Nobody wants to fight Dan Ige for some reason. And I think that that's probably... Do you think it was like that in the older days where, like, people turned down fights as much as this, too? Or is this, like, a newer problem with, like, a bigger roster and fighters feeling like they have more control? That's a great question. I think it's a newer problem because the rosters, the roster is so much more robust now. Mm -hmm. Each division has so much more depth. I mean, you look at, let's even say, GSP coming in uh, as a can't-miss prospect and getting a title shot in his third UFC fight. The divisions, let's face it, for as much as we all love 
the Matt Hughes and the BJ Penns of the mid 2000s. And I take nothing away from Matt Hughes. Maybe I take a little something away from BJ Penn. But let's face it, those divisions were not sussed out the way they are now. There was not that talent at the bottom of the division. There wasn't even a, a, a 15 through 20. Mm-hmm. in those divisions, whereas now at welterweight, how many welterweights are on the rest, roster, Gumby? Uh, 50? 55? I think, I think it's 100. It's pretty close to 100, to be honest with you. Right. I, I know that the guy, uh, oh, man, I'm going to slip on his name, the guy over at Bloody Elbow has like a comprehensive list, and like at one point in time, I know the number was like 88 or 89, and I know they signed some after that. Now, they're, they're also like firing people here and then, but yeah, like, you know, upwards of 75 at least. Yeah, so I do think that, to your point, is um, is more on the modern-day side of things. So you mentioned a couple of names. Let's go through it. Uh, now, heavyweight, you mentioned Cyril Gain. If we go through division by division, heavyweight does not have the largest roster because there just aren't a lot of gigantic humans who want to fight in a cage. But does heavyweight have that landmine? I think Cyril Ghani is that, that guy because like, if you go back and look at, at his – sort of run it uh, heavyweight, he he has three straight wins, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, and being that he has three straight wins, is undefeated, like, he's just barely number 15. Like, we, we've talked about this division being so scant on talent, right? Like, not having any talented people in there. The, the dude has fought three times already. He's looked damn near flawless in those those performances. And at the same time, like, can't get anybody to fight him. So, like, at least nobody to fight him that's, like, super meaningful. So, you know, I, I think that you, if you have to come up with one, I think it's definitely him. Um, but, I, but I'm not sure. Also, I think he might have, and now this is this is really testing my memory, I think he was probably supposed to fight somebody at uh, UFC in Brooklyn, but I think it got canceled even before it got canceled. Uh, I understand completely what you're saying there, and I think everyone else does too. How about a 205? Uh, I have actually two at 205 who I, I really, truly, honestly should think they should have been ranked for a, a good period of time. Um, I, I think Ryan Span at, at 205 is a is a key name. Like Ryan Span, the the dude is an absolute killer. He's tough. He's knocking people out. He looked absolutely brutal. Last time out, he made Devin Clark look bad. He made Little Nog look bad. The dude is 3-0 in the UFC, not ranked. And the best person he can get to accept his fights right now is Paul Craig. And, and you don't, no knock on Paul Craig, but, but Paul Craig is, is what? like He's like 4-4 four four in his career in the UFC. Like Is that enough to be like, this is the guy somebody 3-0 with brutal knockouts over one being over a legend should be getting? No, he should be fighting people better than that. And then uh, the other person who sticks out to me is Alonzo Menafield. Alonzo Menafield, 2-0 in the UFC, looked damn good in both those performances. And and who wants to fight Alonzo Menafield? And, and like, nobody, and it's taking him a slow time to rise up the division, a a division that it should be fairly easy for him to rise up, right? Because that division, you know, you mentioned heavyweight being skinny. Light heavyweight's not thick either with talent, you know? So, uh, you know, both of those stick out to me as sort of people who, uh, keep getting overlooked in those divisions. How about at middleweight? Uh, in middleweight, the one who sticks out to me the most at middleweight is Marvin Vittori. And, and I feel like a lot of people don't remember this about Marvin Vittori, but the dude debuted, looked at, like an absolute killer by, by picking up a guillotine finish, and then followed that up by getting handed Antonio Carlos Jr. Now, it was Antonio Carlos Jr. when he was unranked, so not like a, you know, not still not a ranked opponent. He then, like, you know, won a fight, drew a fight, and then gets Israel Adesanya, an unranked Israel Adesanya. He loses that fight. Now he's on another two-fight win streak. Still not ranked. Still can't get in the rankings. You know, like, he was supposed to fight Darren Stewart in that London card. That's what you're going to give a guy who took a split decision with Israel Adesanya. He is going to get Darren Stewart on a two-fight win streak. Like, there's no reason that Marvin Vittori, doing as well as he has should still be getting talent like like Darren Stewart. Like some people arguably think that he beat uh that he beat fucking Israel Adesanya. Like one judge had it that way. So like yeah, it's crazy that he's still not getting, you know, tough opponents. Well we've talked about Welterweight a lot here, uh and apparently there are a hundred fighters on the roster. Who's <laughs> a landline at Welterweight? 
So I I think uh, on online I mentioned Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal is one of those ones who like I mean he's like nipping at the top ten of the division. He is actually ranked, but at the same time like you know he's calling out people who are like you know number eight, number nine, number seven like and they just instantly are like ignoring the fact that he's even calling him out. So Jeff Neal deserves a mention. I also feel like we need to mention uh, a guy by the name of Claudio Silva, which. I'm going to ask you, Dave, you know, being the, the MMA fan you are, do you even know the name Claudio Williams or Claudio Silva? Right? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. Claudio Silva is five and zero in the UFC. And that includes a win over Leon Edwards, uh, who is currently mm. ranked fourth in the UFC uh, welterweight division. Now that was a split decision win. And it was a long time ago. He then had a long layoff, but he did have two wins in 2019 and that second win, his fifth straight overall, is against Cole Williams. Like, do you even know who Cole Williams? Like, why is a guy who's five and zero fighting Cole Williams, especially being that he beat Leon Edwards? So I, I get the layoff, and, and maybe that's another thing we need to add to this uh, when when I write it up as an article is like maybe we need to talk about the fact that this is uh, you know bigger problem for people who uh, have injury layoffs too, because I think that that seems to be a, a pretty substantial part of it as well. He is a BJJ black belt. Um, how about at 155? Um, so th- there's a couple of people at 155. You know, we talked about it being one of the biggest divisions already, which obviously uh, makes it pretty tricky to, to just narrow it down to one. But how about Leonardo Santos? Somebody mentioned it in our Twitter mentions, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I completely forgot about Leonardo Santos. The, the dude is 6-0-1 in the UFC. You know, only a draw to Norman Park. He's got a, a TKO win over Kevin Lee. And again, he's a guy who injuries knocked him out. He beat Efrain Escudero. He beat uh, Tony Martin. He beat Kevin Lee. He just knocked out Stevie Ray in 2019. So, like, he's back on the, the winning trail. But the dude's undefeated, and he's in that division. And, like, who would want to fight Leonardo Santos knowing that he... You know, TKO'd Kevin Lee, granted, a long time ago, Kevin Lee. He just absolutely blasted Stevie Ray. And, and now, you know, he finds himself in this, like, weird limbo with, like, who would fight him. Let's, uh, we've gone through the traditional weight classes of the UFC. Why don't you give us some of the lighter weights, 145, 135, and if you even consider 125 still a division, who at the lighter weights is a landmine? So I actually don't think there's anybody at 125, to be honest with you. And, and 125 is a big issue because, uh, you know, obviously there, there's not a lot of talent there to begin with, and just about everybody's in the rankings. They tell you to fight somebody at, at that weight, you should be like, fucking souped that they're even considering you for a fight right now um we we talked about it at featherweight both dan Ige and ryan hall are excellent picks for that division like they're they're really tough outs they're they're guys who you you 100 don't want to run into the, the one that sticks out to me and again somebody mentioned it on on twitter i wish i just wrote down all of these people's names um both rob font and marwin vera stick out to me as names in that division because I mean, like, Rob Font's got some, like, bad losses in there, but, you know, Marwin Vera is a guy we're talking about being on a five-fight win streak, and his most recent bout was against Andre Ewell. And, and not that I don't, like, enjoy Andre Ewell, but, like, you know, as a fill-in fight, it, it sort of made sense. But then he was, after that five-fight win streak, he was supposed to fight Eddie Wineland. And, like, Eddie Wineland's a legend of the sport, but for Christ's sakes, like, sh- should Eddie Wineland be getting, like, wh- who what some people think is a top-ten talent in the... the the UFC, probably not. So it sucks for Marwin Vera to have to be taking those fights because nobody seems to want to fight him. And then on the female side, you have a sort of 145-pound division and then 115 through 135. Who are some female MMA landmines? Yeah, there, there's not a lot of these either because of how small the division is. But one of the, the ones I will continuously point out as like being a really, really tough out is if you go down to strawweight, uh, Yan Shonan is five and zero in the UFC, and just finally after her last win beating Karolina Kovalkiewicz, did she finally get into the rankings? It was crazy. She was four and zero with wins over Kaywin Curran, Vivian Pereira, Sierra Kondo, and Angela Hill, and she still wasn't ranked. Uh, you know, she beat Karolina Kovalkiewicz, but you know, a lot of people talking now about like. Who's going to want to fight her? She just put a beating on Carolina Kovalkiewicz. She's beaten Angela Hill. Like, you know, not a lot of people are going to be stepping up to fight her. I think she's probably in that weird limbo 
where she's going to need to like rattle off like 20 straight victories over people like Felice Herrig and, uh, you know, Courtney Casey and people in that like middling level um, before anybody gives her a real shot. Um, so those ones stick out to me. Um, you know, I, the other divisions are just so small that I, I don't think there's ones that really stick out yet. You know, maybe somebody like Jillian Robertson. Jillian Robertson is 4-2 and two in the UFC. I, I don't think a lot of people signed enough to fight her. Um, you know, she just fought Macy Barber. But, yeah. like, you know, like that, that's a tricky one. So I, I think the women's divisions are, are a little bit more safe from this right now, as are, like, you know, flyweight, which has no people in it. Um, men's flyweight, that is. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, there's probably one or two in there if we did some more digging. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's have the fans do some digging. Let us know who we missed. Hit us up on our Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. Be on the lookout for Gumby's article on this very subject, and we will look forward to your very feedback on this very subject. This has been a very exciting episode. God, do I pray to the MMA gods that this Habib Tony fight happens. Other than that, though, Gumby, I think that about wraps it up for us. So why don't you take us home and get us out of here? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you, the fans, for listening in each and every week. Despite the fact you might be locked down in your houses, we will continue to be getting you guys quality content to your ears each and every week. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on. We could not do what we do without them, nor could we do what we do without our two sponsors, Battle Clan Gear and Maroon Social. Uh, also, make sure to check us out on Twitter. We've got some polls going on over there for some of the stuff we talked about this week. And we'll have you know more polls and games and fun things going on. So check us out at Top Turtle MMA. Now, I'm Daniel Gumby-Greenland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonti. And we will see you next week.